The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you guys about the MLB Roto Baller Challenge, hosted by our friends at Fantrax on Fantrax.com. Fantrax is the most customizable free fantasy baseball platform in the industry, and that's why we're hosting over our 2022 Roto Baller Challenge over on Fantrax. If you want the greatest fantasy experiments, sign up for a free Roto Baller Challenge team today by going to rotoballer.com backslash challenge. All leagues are free to join, and you get to compete against Roto Baller writers and readers for a shot at $500 cash grand prize. All new Fantrax users get entered into a free giveaway to win a signed official MLB Wander Franco jersey. If you want to get entered to win a Wander Franco jersey and you're new to Fantrax, go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and sign up for your free Fantrax account today. Once you have your Fantrax account, go to rotoballer.com backslash challenge to join the challenge league. But go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to create your Fantrax account. Be entered to win a Wander Franco autographed jersey. But for now, welcome to Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to the first installment, the first episode of hopefully many, many more to come of Bubba and the Bloom. Bubba, Casey Bubba, at BDN Trick on the Twitter, and my co-host on this wonderful, wonderful endeavor on the Twitter at Ryan BHQ, Ryan Bloomfield. How you doing, my friend? Doing fantastic, Bubba. It is uh, fantastic for many reasons. Um, two... Two weeks from opening day, just under two weeks from opening day. We've got some March Madness. We've got some main event drafts and two more weekends of big drafts coming up. But most importantly, doing fantastic because I'm really excited for this, man. Um, I know we've been I've been a guest on Bench with Bubba for uh, many times over the years and just has always been a blast doing it with you. Um, Our schedules work out that we're both on the West Coast and little kids and we can kind of meet up when the kids are down and 
And I think this is going to work out great. I'm, I'm really excited to do this every week with you. Yeah, I'm pumped for it as well. It's going to be awesome. And what was really, really awesome was when we kind of let everybody know about it. It was a quite the response, like really awesome response. So I'm hoping it lives up to half the hype that they gave us yeah. because it was, it was it was pretty cool stuff. And you guys came through. We have a lot of listener questions towards the end of the show. That's uh, I always say whenever I'm doing any show that the more listener questions to me, the better because these shows are for you guys. So bring on the questions and we can have fun with that. But we're going to bring a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, the first three main events went down like just hours before we're hitting record right now. So we're going to go over some of those ADPs because we knew they'd be wacky. Talk about some OC ADPs and a little bit of news and much more. So let's get into a little bit of news beforehand. And um, we had one trade go down on Thursday. Big trade. Big, big fantasy trade. Rymel Tapia to the Toronto Blue Jays for Randall Grichik to the Colorado Rockies. Blue Jays needed a left-handed bat. Grichik might get some more playing time in Colorado. This might be a better baseball move than a fantasy baseball move. But uh, what are your takeaways from this? Is, do either of them become more fantasy relevant for you? Yeah, it was a super kind of out of the blue random trade, uh, Tapia for Grichik, but some pretty big fantasy implications. I don't know. I guess we'll talk about Toronto a little bit, but I, I think Grichik obviously is a, is a huge gainer. So I, I ran some numbers this afternoon right after the trade, and I was already really high on Grichik going in, but I bumped his plate appearances up to like 550, gave him a couple more points in batting average. And he went from my like 140th overall hitter to, to 104 overall. So he jumped like 40 spots and ADP for Grichik has been around like 24th round. And he's been the 208th hitter off the board. So um, obviously that's going to change. Grichik's going to, going to shoot up, shoot up boards. And maybe we'll talk about him with some of the main event stuff that just went down earlier today. Um, but it's a, it's a huge boon for Grichik. Not only, you know, everyone talks about Coors and Coors specifically, like it's more of a batting average boost than it is a power boost. And for Grichik specifically, I think that's huge for him because he has had some pretty down batting average years. I think the batting average boost for Grichik is going to be huge. He already has the power. Um, he's going to hit homers no matter where it's at. So um, the batting average boost in Coors, but then also I think he's got more security, more playing time security. And I think that's going to be massive for, for Grichik. Uh, uh, parking out and probably in right field for for Colorado. So I absolutely love the move. Uh, the problem is everyone else probably loves the move. So let's see where that ADP settles. But uh, for Grichik himself, that's a that's a massive uh, upgrade um, in terms of my rankings. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a big move for him because you mentioned the the Babbitt factor there. When it came to Grichik, like in St. Louis for all those years, we knew he had power. That was never a question. We knew it even in Toronto when he played early on before they became the Blue Jays that they are now. And he had to start platooning. The power is never in question, but the average was always like, okay, is he 230, 240? Where's he going to sit? Now, if he can turn that into like 255, 260, like that becomes pretty darn good, especially in an era of baseball where we live now, where like league average is what, like 253 or something. He becomes a much more formidable ball player. And like we'll talk more about, like you said, but just for insight, um, in the three mains, he had an ADP of 236 now. Um, that's the 232nd player. You mentioned 208th hitter earlier. Yep. So that's quite the jump. He went as high as 221. Um, so the sharps in the main event room have caught on real quickly with that one. So it'll be fun to see where that continues to change. As you mentioned, we have a full weekend of high stakes draft plus a lot of OCs. I think there's three or four OCs that went down on Thursday. NFPC's ramping up. So there's a lot of ADP moving and shaking, which we'll get to shortly. On the Rymel Tapia side of things, though, like this just like there's already questions in Colorado. Is it going to be him, Connor Joe? all these other factors going over to Toronto, they needed a left-handed bat. So that made sense, but it still feels like his playing time. He might actually get less playing time to me in Toronto than he would in Colorado. So it's kind of a, 
he kind of moves way down for me. He wasn't really high up on the list for me, but do you have any interest in a guy like Tapia now? I, it's a downgrade. And I, and yeah, you bring up the left-handed bat Bubba, And I, I guess that's the reason why Toronto did this was just to kind of balance out their lineup. And maybe they didn't see as much in Grichik as, as we do, but yeah, he's, he's pretty much the fourth outfielder in Toronto. And I wonder if Toronto still has another move in them. Um, you know, I, I I I wonder if they're clearing room for something else these last two weeks, but but we'll see. The Toronto playing time picture to me is is pretty wild. I know you were on a thread earlier today talking about Alejandro Kirk. Like their their DH spot is um, not in flux, but you've got guys like Greg Bird who might you know rise from the dead and and potentially have some value. Um, obviously, Alejandro Kirk, if he if he DHs a lot more and Jansen plays more at catcher. Um, who is a better defensive catcher, that's a big value boost for both of those guys. So um, I'm looking a little bit less at Tapia himself, but then also the kind of the 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 waterfall effect of losing Gritchick and kind of opening up that DH spot. It's going to be really interesting for those uh, for, for those Bird, Kirk, and maybe Jansen types. So I don't know how it's going to shake out, but that's something I've got my eye on for sure. It'll be fun. We have Mike Curlin in the chat right now. It'll be fun watching his spring training logs to see what the Jays lineup maybe looks like the next like week if as they start transitioning different pieces in there. Um, but that'll be interesting. The last piece on this, just because it was a topic also, and I guess kind of mentioned him a second ago, does this maybe open up more playing time for Connor Joe, which makes him a little more interesting? I'm still kind of torn on that because that was just such a big question mark before. And, you know, Gritchick, they say he might play center field. Who knows? So he's still Connor Joe's still kind of a kind of a no man's land for me right now. I'm kind of stuck on what to do with him. I am too, and actually, I'm I'm previewing some of the, and I'm going to lean on a lot of Baseball HQ uh, isms right. during this show because that's obviously where I come from, and that's uh, that's that's my base. Uh, we wrote up this move in playing time today. It's going to be out on the site Friday morning. Um, but we actually see that Jock Thompson wrote it up and see that as a, actually a downgrade for for Connor Joe. Um, who I think just kind of stays in a part-time role. Like, I think it's going to be some kind of of part-time share with like Blackman splitting DH and outfield, Connor Joe maybe splitting some outfield and DH. I think CJ Crone is pretty, pretty cemented um, at first base. And for good reason, I'm a huge yeah. CJ Crone guy. I know when we did our middle rounds pod, uh, last month, CJ Cron was someone who stood out to us. So um, kind of a net neutral for me uh, in terms of Connor Joe. Um, I, 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 I get why people really like him. I haven't been on the Joe train, but um, I don't think it moves that much with this with this deal. He, I think he'll still need an injury to happen, which fourth outfielders, that typically happens at some point in the season yep. for, for Connor Joe to get regular at bats. Um, I don't think this trade changes that. Yeah, that's how he got him last year, and he kind of stuck with it. So we'll see how that pans out. Same with Tapia. He could easily run into a month of solid at-bats or something. You pick him up on the, the waiver wire and roll from there. So they're not like out of the realm, just maybe not draft targets anymore. Uh, let's talk about the other move. It happened late last night in the middle of the show I was doing, so I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this because I think it's a pretty pretty big move, all things considered. It was kind of ironic that like in, in my inner monologue – all day yesterday because I was looking at my player shares. I have a lot of Tommy Pham shares because his his draft price was just so cheap. I'm like, he's got to land somewhere, right? He's got to land somewhere. And then I see Yancey Eaton tweeting out that, can someone please sign Tommy Pham to a favorable location? That'd be great. Well, Tommy Pham went to a favorable location in the Cincinnati Reds. Um, there's not many more favorable locations, a team that needs him to play, a great ballpark to hit in. What does this do for you in terms of uh, draft day price now for Tommy Pham? 
This is huge for Tommy Pham. I was a big Tommy Pham guy during the lockout. Took him in labor, and I think in like the 16th or 18th round. Obviously, didn't have a team at the time, so you're taking somewhat of a leap of faith and assuming he's going to sign. And I felt good about that until like a few days ago when he was still unsigned and you're like what the hell's going on um but ultimately patience paid out because not only i mean everyone talks about cincinnati with you know great american small park and all that but um tommy fam's gonna you know play every day on that team and it's it's still a pretty pretty good lineup even though i know they traded winker and um and suarez and castellanos is gone but you've still got guys like Votto, moustakis um, a few others in that lineup. It's good enough. And the the big question is going to be, is is Cincinnati going to let Tommy Pham uh, run? Um, Tommy Pham, he, the big draw for him, uh, for me with Pham later in drafts, is he's one of those few outfield guys who still has speed and stolen bases. So if you're, if you're, if you're a little bit low on steals later in your draft, Pham is somebody who, who is there. And I, I think his ADP is going to rise a little bit, but I'm still um, still all over him with the ADP increase just because I love the five-category production. I know the batting average has been really bad the last two years. Hit 229 last year, 211 in 2020. Um, but that a lot of that has been BABIP-induced. I think that bounces back, especially in Cincinnati. So it's a perfect landing spot for FAM. And we'll see where, we're see, we'll see where that ADP settles. But I'm still uh, very, very high on, on Mr. FAM. Yeah, so my 15 homers, 14 steals last year, even with that 229 average you spoke of. And when you look deeper into the the quality of contact metrics, you know, you had a 112.7 max EV, which is like the third best of his career, 10% barrel rate, 46.7% our hit rate, which are all pretty darn solid for a guy to hit 229. And his X stats show that, like XBA of 258, X slug of 442, so on and so forth. And those aren't the end all be all, but that shows there was quite a quite a gap in production that maybe he should have ran a little better than what he did. So I, I like the skills were there. The outcomes weren't, I'm willing to go back and say it. He goes to at least 240, 250. We'll see um, if he does that, then we're going to be, we could be talking about a 20 home run guy with like 15 stolen bases. And we were getting them, like you said, super late in drafts. I, I, I was getting them as like an outfielder four or five in some drafts. It's, it's pretty fun to look back. Like sometimes things work in our favor. A lot of times they don't, it seems like, but sometimes they do. And Tommy Pham was just more like, if you're a Michael Conforto fan right now, you're sitting there going, like reading the reports that he might just hold out. And that's just like, oh no, like how is that happening? So it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Those are the breaks. As yep. I, I took, I remember taking, this was like 20, I think it was 2019. I remember taking Craig Kimbrell everywhere uh, when he was undrafted, including in my first ever main event. And that did not work out well at all. He actually did hold out until I think like June. So that was. That was rough. Um, the last thing on Fan before we move on to side, it is interesting the first second half split with Tommy Fan. I don't know if this was injury, if this was just a slump. But first half he hit almost two sixty with nine homers and twelve steals. Second half everything basically completely fell off the map. One ninety seven batting average, six homers, two steals, and two hundred twenty three at bat. So um, that is one thing. If you're not a Fan guy, like at this age, I get the injury risk, but. But yeah, like I said, the price is is so palatable that uh, I think even in Cincinnati, I think um, I, I think I'm going for him still. Got to yeah. get those steals late. So yeah, I love him. It's like you can get him late for steals, or you can go get the guy batting ninth for Kansas City and Michael A. Taylor. I'll take my chances with Tommy Pham. Like or like a Ramon Laureano and wait exactly. out the first month of suspension, and yeah, it it yeah. gets dicey uh, very very quickly, as you've probably heard on every podcast. Yeah, so uh, this all season. Well, 
we'll see how that one rolls, but I'm, I'm very excited about that one that took place. But what I'm also excited about, and it's just, I guess, the nerdiness of us fantasy people is we got those uh, those wonderful main event um, ADPs out there. So this is one thing that I'm so excited about working with you on this is you're very good with numbers. I'm good at putting graphs together really quick because of your bloom boards, as everybody knows. So literally, you like hit me up five minutes before we record it. Like, hey, you want me to run some numbers and put it on thing? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's that's really cool because I was just going to go off the ADP page and wing it. So this is like even better that uh, you got this here. So you have um, some OC ADPs comparing them to the main ADPs, some risers and fallers. And as we know, pitching goes crazy. It goes really crazy. But one thing that Spore, and we're going to reference Spore a lot because uh, Paul Spore, for those keeping track at home, at Spore on Twitter, he was live tweeting a lot of like the key takeaways from just sitting there watching the two live mains. And that's kind of what got our conversation going. But um, on average in the DCs, 45 starting pitchers were taken in the first, I believe, 10 rounds. Um, In the two live mains, it was 43 and 44. So even with injuries, you're pretty close with that 45. So pitchers are getting pushed up, but at the same time, same quantity of pitchers, if that makes sense in the grand scheme of things. And then when it came to the closers, I don't have the exact numbers, but a lot of similarities, like the top five guys went in the first four to five rounds, which is kind of what you're seeing in a lot of these drafts. And also remember for the main events, it's an overall competition. So you're going to see some really wild strategies like um, Hendricks and Hayter. Someone we, went pocket. Hendricks we saw Hader. the pocket closers. We saw so, Hendricks and Hader go first that, and second round. So. That will happen. That will yep. happen in stuff like this. And then some players we will talk about will make more sense. But like right at the top of your list, this was a big one because we saw Lucas Gilito. His velocity was up. He's he's come out talking about how ready he is. <clears throat> he's changed his like he put on uh, muscle. Like he's in shape. He's ready to roll. And he had an OC ADP of forty, and he went twenty um, third. His ADP of twenty three. In these, so now he's going mid second round. In these, are you are you buying into this improved Giolito? Because you know this time last year, this is where he was going, and then he has had a rough year, so it dropped him down a bit. Yeah, and he had a rough year, but it really wasn't that bad. I, I thought the forty ADP for Giolito was a little bit low. Like I thought he was one of the um, and, and one of the things I've been talking about all draft season. I've kind of been fading the the early aces in general and waiting till like the maybe sixth through ninth round to just pound starting pitchers. Um, so I haven't had any, any, um, any teams with Giolito on him, but I get the rise, especially. And, and, and so he was the top riser from 40 to 23, that 40 being um, all the online championship drafts versus 23 with the three mains. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's because of how he looks in spring training. Same with, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about DeGrom, but DeGrom was the mm-hmm. second highest riser. And, and the way I do these is, it's not just so DeGrom's ADP kind of a kind of a side here, but like DeGrom's ADP went from 17 to 10. That's not really a huge rise. But the way I kind of run these numbers is I look at like the value of the draft slot. So if someone rises two rounds from like the 15th to the 13th round, yeah, it's two rounds. But in terms of the actual like slot value for those picks, it's not that much. Where if someone just rises one round like Jacob DeGrom just did from the second to the first, uh, it's a lot bigger. So that's how I kind of rank these. That's why you have DeGrom going uh, number two riser. Um, but yeah, it, it. I mean, the main the main event folks are tracking spring training very closely, especially for the guys who all offseason we've been saying, well, I want to see how fast he's throwing in spring training. I want to see how he looks. Uh, Giolito, DeGrom are obviously, and Carlos Rodon, number three on the list, are obviously passing that test. Rodon obviously has the, uh, the San Francisco signing to help him out there too. But all three of those guys... Um, 
look good in spring, and that's why they're going up boards like this. Yeah, the Degrom one's really fun because like you had him yeah. at ADP of seventeen in the OCs, ten in this uh, main event as high as six. First pitcher off the board, it had a Cole, and it was kind of ironic. Be two, two things uh, when I had Guilds and Fish on last, we just kind of talked NFBC and, and high stake stuff. One of the the hot takes we were talking about at the end: Does Degrom, you know, become the SP one? Does he potentially go? Uh, you actually said, does he go one point one? And Guilds is on board now, like going, yeah, he's going to go one. If he went, if he was the SP one, he's going to go one by the end of the week. And I'm kind of on board there. But it was also funny to see this because I did an OC on Sunday night, and Degrom was the first pitcher off the board to pick six in the OC. And I'm sitting there, it's like, hmm, this is interesting. So he's going as high as six. Um, we, he looked awesome. I'm not going to deny it. He looked awesome in his recent start. I, where are you comfortable taking him at? Because there's still got to be something in the back of your head, right? Yes. I, it's, it's, I mean, this is all based off of, I think two innings of spring training and yeah, he looked just fantastic. Struck out five in those two innings. The, the velocity technically was down like a mile and a half, but he was still pumping 97, 98, I think. And that's enough. I mean, the, the Vegas main drafters this weekend are in a tough spot. I mean, that's, that's the only look that they have. Uh, They, they don't have the luxury of waiting another, uh, Jacob DeGrom's start to see what he looks like. If DeGrom comes out and throws, looks just as good in his next start, I will stand by my 1.1. Someone will take him first overall. It's it's a tough, you know, it's tough to pass on Trey Turner, but someone's going to do it um, if he looks good again. And I, I think this weekend in Vegas, he will go earlier than six. I think someone will, will bite the bullet. If you, want it, if you want that starting pitcher and start out with that base and you feel in an overall DeGrom's the top guy, um, you got to pull the trigger. So for me, I'm not, I'm still not doing it. Like I think, and, and I, I may go off on a little tangent. I, I just think we're so overvaluing what we've seen so far in spring training. Um, it's so tempting because we haven't seen baseball in so long and it's, everything's compressed. And I, I think the overreactions are, are pretty wild out there. So I, I'm still, I don't think Jacob DeGrom is, uh, fully healthy. I don't think two innings of that changes it for me. So I personally am out. I understand why folks are taking him sixth overall. Like I get it. It's just not for me. Yeah. Like we were talking earlier about the FOMO for missing Vegas in general this weekend. I look at my rosters and I have FOMO of not having Jacob DeGrom, but I know why I'm not taking Jacob DeGrom. So I have to like trust the process as they say, like you got his, you know, you can still be like you can still be successful without drafting Jacob Degrom. If he's healthy, does it help you a lot? Of course, like of course it does. But there's also a lot of other factors that it might not work out well for you. So we'll see. I did pressure Toby the other night though, because he's got the second pick in his main, and we all know he's going to go pitcher, and he's a Garrett Cole guy. But I'm like, come on, really shock the world, Toby. Shock the world. Go Jacob Degrom. But I don't see that happening. So it's going to put him. He's got he's got days of Jacob Degrom videos of those two stars to look at to see what he does. But I I would go Cole still. Yeah, we'll see what he does. I I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure he's going Garrett Cole. But uh, we'll see how that one pans out. Uh, you mentioned Rodon. The next guy I did want to mention though that was really interesting to me is Taylor Rogers. Uh, OCs as high as one uh, one fifty eight is ADP and and the three mains one oh seven. And that was really surprising to me just to see the jump. Not that he got there. I love Taylor Rogers. I've talked about like he's one of my targets. If you don't get an early one or you want a reliever too, I love him sliding into that spot. Um, they might trade him at some point, but at the same time, the twins are going for it now. So I don't see them in that. Like that's kind of the concern to me early on is A, do they get a different closer? Or B, do they just like keep Rogers long enough to trade him and get a call in there? But now 
with all the moves they've made, it seems like they're trying to contend. We'll see. And if that's the case, Rodgers should be locked into that role barring something crazy happening. And if you look at his past seasons, strikeouts have always been pretty good. The ratios have always been pretty good. And when he's in the closer spot, he racks up saves. Like he does that very, very well. So uh, the ADP is on the move. That is for sure. But are you a fan of this rising ADP? Because I guess he's kind of the main target for guys that are waiting on closers. Yeah, and I I think it was Colin Weatherwax yep. who who kind of called this. So yep. I put some I put a bloom board out earlier that Taylor Rogers was one of the biggest risers um, in OCs the last week, and that was only up to like 150 ADP. And and Colin said, "Well, you ready for him to go in the top 100 in the mains?" And yep. here he is, like 105. Um, I I don't know. I I still don't. I have not seen anything that kind of promises he's in the role. And I think Minnesota is still going to play matchups there. So I, I, I get the skills. He's still going to get a bunch of saves. Like Minnesota is a, a better team, I think, than we originally thought now with what they've done this offseason. Um, but I think you're maybe looking at 20, 25 saves if things break the right way. And, and, and obviously, if Minnesota continues a committee. And like I said, I, I haven't seen anything to the contrary. So for me, I'm not doing it at, at 100. I see... Rogers kind of sticks out as like one of the only, so this isn't like a main event pushing up all closers. There is so Hader and Hendricks show up on our little board here as top risers because someone took them pocket closers for a second round and there's only three drafts. So uh, Rogers kind of stands out as like one of the few closers who, who really rose and um, not for me. I'm, I'd rather take like a, a Kenley Jansen, even if it is uh, two rounds, two to three rounds earlier. I want that. I want someone who I know is going to be in the role. And I just haven't seen or heard that. Maybe I missed something. Uh, with no, he'll, be, he'll have the role. No, Jansen will have the role. Rogers is a question. Jansen will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no. Rogers, I have not seen anything on that. And, and, I, and I don't disagree with that because like, I love Rodgers when he's going like 150. 107 kind of makes you reevaluate things a little bit, and that's the kind of beauty of, you know, everyone's got a price, but uh, when are you willing to stop paying for that price? And that becomes interesting. And, that's and it starts about- to get to like an opportunity cost. Once you start yes. getting to that top 100, it is, I mean, the guy going right in front of. Yep, exactly. And the guy going right in front of Taylor Rodgers in those three mains is someone named Nathan Nivaldi. Um at 106, I so I, that's a major kind of a big deal. That's a major, major opportunity. Yeah, that's, oh. that's a cherished name on this show. That's yeah. a, we, we can't be messing with that. So, yeah, that that's a tough one. I, I guarantee you I would not have many Taylor Rogers shares based on my Nate Evaldi shares. That's uh, darn, darn sure. Um, there are some other closers. I did want to mention Justin Verlander, though. This stood out yeah. because, you know, there's always the talk. I was always kind of a fan of Verlander. I didn't get him in that many spots, honestly, but I always felt like if he's healthy enough to pitch, He's going to pitch. They have no reason. They paid him all this money. He's older. They have no reason to kind of coddle him like you would a younger pitcher coming off surgery. And he's talked about that, too. He's like, I'm ready to go, and I'm going, I'm going. And his uh, OC ADP recently was 83, and he's went as high as 50. His ADP, of, like, his ADP is 58 in these three drafts, and he went in the fourth round, I believe, in both live drafts. So um, He's on the move. And again, this could be like the DeGrom thing and these other guys like he had a great start. People are excited to see what he had. Are you um, buying into this jump on him? Uh, no, uh, it was sort of sound the exact same as, <laughs> yeah. as what I talked about with DeGrom, but it is inflating someone's ADP by a bunch of rounds in the middle rounds where those are really valuable picks based on a couple innings. Um, so yeah, he does look great. And I do, there is something Bubba to like what you said, like Houston has, 
financially shown that support for Verlander. Like they obviously think he's healthy. I just, I'd be shocked if we got like 160 grade out innings out of Justin Verlander this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Happy to be wrong. Like it'd be really cool for him to do it. He's a hall of fame pitcher. Um, it'd be a hell of a story, but uh, I just, I think the per inning stuff's going to be great, but I just, once we get to that second half, how's he going to hold up at that age with such a long layoff? Even if he is healthy, it's been such a long road back for Verlander that uh, that's a huge spike in workload. And, and it's, yeah, it's just a lot of questions at, at 83 or whatever in the OCs, maybe, but at 58 in the mains, um, it's, it's not for me, but again, I can see why, you know, if he goes 160 innings and he's Verlander, it's going to be an awesome 160. It's going to be an awesome 160. So, and we saw what, we saw what DeGrom did in the short season last year. I'm not saying Verlander's DeGrom by any means, but you're also not paying a first round price. Right. And I, I said, I don't have any, uh, many, I have a couple of Verlanders, but I've had way too many drafts. So we're not going to talk about that. But, um, um, the question I have for you, and it's tough to answer. So I want you to try to take cost out of this like ADP out of it, but I know there is an ADP gap, so this might influence you a little bit, but just pitcher for pitcher, because there's a good chance we see about 140 to 150 innings out of both these guys. If they, if you get 150, do you want Verlander or Clayton Kershaw? I want Verlander. Okay. I, I think that's what I, it is, but the cost I, yeah, I want the different. strikeouts. I want the strikeouts with Verlander. I, I'll go, I'll go Verlander. Yeah, I just wanted to ask because I know a lot of people say with like Kershaw because his ADP is down. It's like, okay, I'll take my chances getting like 130 or 140 out of him because that'll be quality innings where it's like, yeah, but it, at the same time, yeah, you know, strikeouts and whatnot might not be there. So it's a it's a tricky one. I don't have shares of either. Uh, no Kershaw. Back, but, but so to flip that on you, who out of those two, Verlander, Kershaw, who has um, the better chance of getting to 150 or 160 innings? I think Verlander does. But I'm kind of biased because like I already like him to go at least one. Because I, I am a true believer. Once he's good to go, like it's just go time unless that arm falls off, and that could happen coming back from TJ. If that's a serious thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's kind of over the normal rehab part because of, of, of the length of the offseason. So he's not on like that normal. Hey, he's like you know 11, 12 months. He's like past that type yes. deal. So yeah. I kind of feel comfortable in that. Where led Kershaw get like a PRP injection. Like that, that doesn't do it. That's it scares me a little bit. So I have more confidence in Verlander. We'll see. Um, this one I'm real curious to hear because it's taken every, everything in my power not to have my Chris Bryant bias because I know he's going to Colorado and all these things. But OC ADP of 86, he went at ADP of 61 in the main events. And I know he went like as high as close to like 51, 52. Um, are, you, are you in on this Chris Bryant spike? Yeah, just so people don't think I hate every single player not named Nate Devaldi. Um I yeah, I'll buy I'll buy the Bryant spike. I, I think it makes sense given Colorado, um, given the multi position eligibility. I know he's gonna play outfield, but he's eligible at third. That that for me is huge. And the spike wasn't, yeah, that much. I think sixty one's a reasonable price for Bryant. So um I'd be happy to to take Chris Bryant there. I, I have not taken him anywhere uh yet. Um, but that might change because I really do like the landing spot uh, with Colorado. Yeah, and as you can see, most of these other names um, are pitchers and relievers, but we have two more hitters I want to talk about because the pitchers, you can kind of have the same argument for all these. Like they, yeah. they get moved up in drafts or they looked great early on or so on and so forth. We already hit on Tommy Pham, his ADP of 208, but two other hitters I wanted to mention here. First off, this was the one that really spiked just the spore chat that got my attention. Byron Buxton had an Buxton. ADP of 45 in the OCs, an ADP of 33 in the main events. And um, 
he went as high as 27. So let's keep you track at home. That's a second round pick on Byron Buxton. Now, Bloom, um, if if we got to really make this a simple answer, it's got to be because there's an overall involved. That's where I'm going with this. But where do you stand on Buxton? Because the talent's never been like – you can't deny the talent. We just haven't seen it for a full season for obvious reasons. Yeah, and we just saw – so we just saw Byron Buxton in a spring <laughs> training game. Yeah. In a spring training game, literally – uh crash into a wall in center field like that you know it was a highlight some people were like oh that's you know that was a great play and yeah it was a great play but it shows me that i don't know if buxton is into self-preservation yet at this point in his career and we obviously have not seen the volume from byron buxton anyone who listens to this podcast knows the ceiling with byron buxton the skills are uh you know top five in the game honestly if he made a if he played 155 games, but he's just not going to. And what we saw with that, with, with spring training, what he just did, it's just like, it's, it's going to happen. It's a ticking time bomb. Maybe you get lucky and you get two or three months out of him. But, uh, but no, it was, I mean, it was shocking to me to, to see a second round uh, selection there. I again, get it, the ceiling overall, that sort of thing, but way too much risk for me, even in the third, even in the, I don't know, fourth or fifth. So I'm, probably not getting any more of of Byron Buxton uh, this yeah. season. Yeah, it, it's just tough because I, I love, like you said, he's literally a top five talent if you really want to to get in the nitty gritty of it all. But it's just like, man, he just has not been able to stay in there. And it just makes it really, really tough to uh, to get together there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one I'd love to see him do. It'd be great to see him do. And that's why these guys are taking that pick just in case that ever does happen. But uh, it, it's it's tough to uh, to see that actually play out. And you're like, the bad X has him hitting 276 with 30 homers and 16 steals in 122 games. Yep. So now you start throwing 140, 150 out there. That's some elite elite numbers. So which is a good projection too. Like I, I'm on board with that projection, except for the games played. But yeah, yeah like that shows why. Yeah. That shows why. But it was it was kind of random, like how Buxton rose because we haven't really seen like great news. I guess the the great news is that he's not hurt yet. So yeah. if you start the season hurt, he's made not hurt. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes for sure. I'm I'm hoping for the best. But let's talk some fallers though. This is interesting. Obviously, Will Smith is yeah. going to fall a ton. That one's easy. Not really a lot of explanation needed in that one. But he went from 125 in the OCs to 399 in the mains. Uh, Tatis fell. Sale fell. Jack Flaherty is what I wanted to ask you about. Um, I was off Jack Flaherty even before the injury, but um, this took place and just really makes it kind of a bummer because now more people will be off of him. But he was 120 in the OCs, 259 in the mains. Like these OCs, we already knew the news, and they were still taking him around 120. The main took him 259. I think uh, like round 20 is the one I saw on a board that was posted on Twitter. So um, – What's your thoughts on Flaherty? Because does that become eventually like a potential value going that late for you? Well, it gets to the point. Yeah, it gets to the point where you got to think if the pick doesn't work out, it's not going to really hurt you. It's a drop. A 20th round drop. um, If that's the worst thing that happens to your fantasy team this year, you're going to win the freaking overall. Um, so like, yeah, it's easy to say I'm out on Flaherty, the show, like it's, it's obvious to see why there is so much concern. And then I saw the ADP, like I was, I was really shocked at how far he dropped to that, like 259. So if it is the 20th round, 
Um, I never thought I'd even say this, but um, it is like, yeah, I, I'd take a shot on Jack Flaherty. Um, worst thing that happens is you cut him and you stream that next week or whatever. You lost your 20th round pick. Not that big of a deal. Um, I thought he'd be like 10th or 12th. And obviously yeah. that, that's not the case. And even at that price, I, I'm out because that is really enough in a draft where if you lose, if you lose that guy, it's, it's rough. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a Flaherty guy at all, but 20th round, I, I can see why people would finally say, okay, let's do it. Yeah. That's why I wanted to ask. Cause like, yeah, an OC that's round 10, like he's going around 10 and I'm like, yeah, I'm out, not happening. But like you said, round 20, I've said that on many guys. Eventually, everyone's got a price where I'm willing to take a chance because you're going to drop most of the bottom. You hope to drop most of the bottom of your roster eventually. That's just kind of how the, the rotation plays out. So if that's what Flaherty is, that's what he is. And most people talk about, you know, you can have one, maybe two stash spots. I don't maybe two. Um, and Flaherty could be that guy. If you just like you stash him now and then you find out like in a week that, hey, things are better than we thought. He's only going to miss like two starts. Well, you know, that could turn out to be pretty sweet. So yep. uh, we'll see. But, yeah, that was very surprising. That was one of the bigger falls that uh, stood out to me. Uh, another one that like a lot of hitters will fall because pitching gets moved up so much. But Austin Riley had an ADP of 57 in the OCs. ADP of 90. 90. That's a late round six. That's a six, seven turn in the mains. Like, what is it do you think that made him fall so much in the mains? Because you can't just say pitching to drop that far. No, no, yeah, I don't, and I don't have an answer to that. Like yeah, as, that, you, were, that as you were me. talking about Riley, I was like, yeah, because I mean, so other followers around him are like Starling Marte, so there's some oblique stuff going on there. Um, Teoscar Hernandez, at least he sounds like he's okay, but has a has a wrist thing going on, so he fell a little bit. But yeah, like Austin Riley, why would he drop from sixty to ninety? It could just be there was three drafts, and in those three drafts, no one is really a Riley guy. Um, that's my best possible explanation. Because if anything, maybe he goes down a little bit in the order, but I mean, he's still, nothing has really changed. So mm-hmm. um, I don't really get the fall. Um, I haven't not been drafting Austin Riley. We talked a lot about Austin Riley at first pitch Arizona, and I kind of comped him to like, and it's easy to say, oh, get this guy with similar skills, 100 picks later kind of a thing. Uh, but we talked about uh, Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Riley kind of back to back on one of those panels. And I see similar type skills between those two. So I've been out on Riley just because I don't think the batting average sticks and there's no speed there. And he was going like in the first four rounds. So I just, I want to get other categories there. Uh, but I might have to reconsider at 90. That That's a huge drop for apparently no reason. Like every other faller on this list, uh, maybe except Cedric Mullins, who's an interesting one, by the way, he fell from 32 to 48. Yeah, surprise, um, surprise. Justin Mason yeah. might get a gift when he drafts now. He, I'm sure he will if he, uh, if he sticks at 48, if Mullins sticks at 48, that was an interesting one, but yeah, like the Riley, the Riley drop is just kind of random and nothing to, uh, nothing to really point to as to why that happened. Yeah. Cause I'm with you, but with the speed, lack of speed, and I don't believe in the average either. I really haven't been on Riley where he's been going. Cause I'm either going maybe a pitcher there or another guy with speed. Uh, but now you got him going at 90, Nolan Arenado is at 99 you know, there's some similarities there. There's also, you know, Riley might have a higher ceiling than Arenado. So it's kind of interesting that those two are kind of getting grouped together now where yeah, they're kind of spread out beforehand. I, I take Arenado. I, I just, yeah. I think the floor with boring, Arenado is consistent higher. Floor. Yep. Yeah. I mean, but, Riley is a huge regression risk. Like yeah. you can have a great season like Riley had and a lot of the, like the power metrics all back it up. 
and then had some play skill growth. Um, but like skills can fluctuate just like results can. And, and they're just in sheer regression risk, Austin Riley. And that's a, that's a considerable risk going against him. Someone coming off a, uh, a, a season like that, even though he's only 25, even though he has the prospect pedigree, we've seen guys like that still have a career year in their first full season. So that's definitely yeah, possible. Because he could still have a very good year. just won't meet that ADP. And that's the difference. Like you're saying, the cost compared to the value that he returns. And that's like, I've always said that I, I'm not a fan of paying for last year's great. That's why my Simeon argument and other stuff is not that they're bad ball players, not that they're going to put up bad fantasy seasons, but to match what they did last year is very, very difficult. And you're paying for it now. So that's, that's a big, big difference where, I guess I'm just not as – I'm a more like safe drafter. People might say boring drafter, but that works for a lot of people. Hopefully it works this year. We'll see. But um, Riley Riley's a very, very interesting one. The Sed Mullins one falling was quite a shocker, like you mentioned. I, I, I've i been in and out on Sed. If he falls to me in the third round, I've been more inclined. I wasn't willing to push him into the second round like some people were. So that stood out to me a bit. Were there any other guys that stood out to you? Because, like you said, I could see arguments for most of these guys that uh, – fell in this first three drafts um so starling my i mentioned starling Marte earlier I, i'm a huge starling Marte guy but i'm worried about the oblique it seems like it's kind of being underreported. he's had oblique problems in the past i know no one's really expecting Marte to get a full 155 162 game season he kind of never really has but to start off the year hurt and i, I think he played in a in a spring training game today but like didn't swing he bunted um, that's not good yeah so it, it's it's concerning and obviously main event drafters see that and Marte is now down to 43 so that was interesting Luis Castillo was a big faller from 100 down to 143 um, could be could be you know depending on yeah shoulder problems but shoulder problems in the past and there's Cincinnati saying that it's just delaying his ramp up, which yeah. if you're on the plus side of Castillo, who no cold as I have been no cold weather, <laughs> no April. I could, I could take Luis Castillo without April and be just fine instead of having him in my lineup. So that was an interesting, uh, a faller Luis Castillo, who's consistently been like sixth round, seventh round is now almost in the 10th round. Luis Castillo at 143 or Jack Flaherty at 259. That's a really good question. Um, I'll I'll stick to my guns and do Castillo, yeah. um, but I will still hold my nose if I had to click that button. Yeah, I go Castillo because, like you said, the reports and their only reports, as well as we can tell, is like okay, it's just slowing down his start. Where Flaherty had to get a second opinion. Yep, and that's get, never, yeah. never a good thing. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it sounds like Flaherty's actively injured. Well, like it sounds like again. Yep, yeah. exactly, and it. And it's so hard to kind of parse what you're hearing through the media, but it sounds like the Castillo injury was in the past, kind of like uh, another faller, uh, Zach Wheeler. It kind of sounds like they're ramping back up. It's just they're delayed as opposed to actively injured. So if that's true or not, who knows? But because we were through that bullpen the other day, like he said, he felt fine. Supposed to start here in a couple of days. So yeah, he might only miss a start or two. And now he becomes potential value when you look at the grand scheme of things compared to being like a, an early second now you're getting them in like early to late third and you never know that can be quite intriguing when you look at things um some other takeaways from the main event we saw a bunch of pocket aces of course um we saw a woodruff burns combo we saw some Cole and uh, we saw Degrom and um i think it was not bueller bueller combo we have bueller cole combo i didn't see out there i know you're not going pitching or like you said you've kind of been waiting on that and 
I haven't forced it like I had in years past. I just love the depth like you do at the at the position. As if people listen to our mid rounds, we target a lot of pitchers in that section of the draft. Um, if you had to um, start pocket aces, what's your kind of what's your dream scenario that would actually be a possibility of filling out? The the dream for me would be to um, move to Milwaukee and become a Brewers fan and yeah. um, and take Woodruff and Burns. Like I love that, that doesn't combo. sound doable, but it happened today. Yeah, um, those are two guys who I if I do go pitcher early, like those are absolutely two guys I'm targeting. Especially Woodruff, like Woodruff yeah. second a second round a second round Woodruff is 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 sexy. It's awesome. Yep. He's so underappreciated. Honestly, I thought we'd see if pitching got moved up enough. I thought we'd see Degrom, Cole, Burns, and then Bueller, Woodruff. I I figured if one, if not both, could end up in the first round by sometime this weekend. Like the if things got crazy, the Degrom team uh, paired up with Sandy Alcantara. That's what it was. Yep. Are you surprised that Alcantara went that high? Because he was one of the guys that, when you look at the ADP boards, um, you know, forty-two in the OCs. I got him at like fifty something the other night. I was over the moon. Um, and he's the ADP of 30 and, um, but obviously went earlier in like 24 to get the DeGrom Alcantara pairing. Are you good with Alcantara going that early? I'm okay with it. I know he's a really polarizing, uh, pitcher. I just, I love the volume and I, I believe in the, the mid season pitch mix change that resulted in more whiffs and a bigger strikeout rate. Uh, the knock on Alcantara has been the lower strikeout rate, but he did change some things up uh last season in the middle of the year the second half skills were elite and then the other thing with Alcantara and I I, I did just mention the volume but it's so easy to look at like a, I think it was a 21 percent strikeout rate last year and yes that is low uh for an ace pitcher whatever you want to call a you know, top three round pitcher but if you get a 21 percent strikeout rate over 200 innings that number of strikeouts is more important than the rate you know we're in Traditional five by five, it's total strikeouts. It's not strikeout rate. So um, I think Alcantara gets a little bit underrated because of that strikeout rate. When you pair it with the volume, um, the actual total number of Ks is, is just fine. So I'm fine with Alcantara in the second round. I know a lot of people are not, but um, I am a uh, I am a believer. Um, we have more listener questions later, but it kind of goes with what we're talking about here. So uh, Sleepy K, his SK playbook, he had a question because he's been mentioning it quite a bit. Uh, just thought about it. Are you still in on Swanson after the brave signings and such that likely push him to the bottom third of the lineup, even though even as low as eighth when Acuna returns? Does that like really push him down for you? It's uh, it's a good point. I mean, it's a concern. It doesn't really push him down for me that much, just because like and I and I know lineups lineups are important. Lineup spots are important, but they're so fluid. Um, Swanson's going to start the year, I believe, near the top without without Acuna. And then it's so hard to project once Acuna comes back, uh, when he comes back, if someone else is going to be hurt at that point. So I, I don't put too much stock into like looking at the long-term lineup spots. Um, it is really important, and, and we were, I, I always love to, to bump Curlin's work. It's really important right now to kind of focus on trends and what teams are doing in terms of playing time to start the season. But I, I don't really believe in trying to project lineup spots over a full season. So like Dansby Swanson plays every single day, plays in a good lineup. Um, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to downgrade him over the potential of going seventh or eighth if everyone on Atlanta stays healthy. Yes. Two months into the season. So that's the biggest thing is, yes, it's been documented by Zimmerman and others that there's certain plate appearances based on where you are in the lineup throughout the yep. whole season. That makes yep. sense. But. 
with the DH this year, batting seventh or eighth isn't the, the death nail it used to be because you don't have a pitcher hitting behind you. You have more chances that they might still let you run where they used to not because they wanted to pitch to the pitcher and so on and so forth, which still could help Swanson, who is an accumulator because he plays a ton of games. Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about as well. So I'm not really to give up on that just yet. I said in a perfect world, if Acuna's not running, which he shouldn't be early on, you have Albies and Swanson one, two, but Acuna third. Like, what? why do we even have Acuna lead off if he's not running? But we'll wait and see on that one. All right, let's talk a, a little bit more about your OC guys over the last seven days that rose and fell. We'll go through this real quick because um, a lot of it goes with uh, what we just went through. I'm actually so – here's one that stood out to me. Okay, Max Muncy, uh, 158 uh, during the lockout, up to 127 recently. Are you okay with this rise on Muncy? Because I'm still – I know he's been hitting. I'm still slightly concerned overall with this UCL issue. Yeah, Um I'm okay with it because he is playing and I, I don't think LA would push it too bad if he was still really hurt. I, I, I say that knowing there is some risk, but um, I think from a pure skill standpoint and from the multi-position eligibility at first and third um, Muncie's I, I, I'm okay with it at the price. I think we've seen enough um of him of not not really his performance in spring but just the willingness of la to play him at this point i think is okay so i i'm i'm okay with the price i'm okay with the jump um still a little worried but at 127 i can start to kind of introduce some risk into the portfolio so so i'm i'm okay with it let's talk new blue jay matt chapman lockout 199 last seven days in the oc's 173 if you just want to look at the three mains 160 so he's continuing to climb obviously phenomenal situation all things considered moving from oakland to anywhere let alone toronto but uh what's just your your thoughts on um chapman like how high are you willing to go on him because he's got the bad average issues he's coming off the hip injury which should help so we just talked about riley and and um, arenado kind of falling he's going about 70 picks after them in the uh, at least in the main events right now yeah, and you, you expect the bump mostly because of the, the the park and the lineup. Like Oakland is notorious for having that huge um, foul ground area and so many just kind of pop-up outs. Um, Chapman's going around. He's going right behind Justin Turner and Ryan McMahon. I'd rather have Justin Turner. And this is, this is with the rise. This is over the last seven days in OC. So I would take Justin Turner over Matt Chapman. Um, Josh Donaldson is going right after Matt Chapman. I would take Josh Donaldson over Matt Chapman as well. So even with the with the rise, I'm still kind of out on Chapman just because he has just been so bad the last two seasons. I know the hip has been a thing, but I don't think that fully explains everything that's gone wrong with Chapman at the plate. Like the strikeout rate is just so putrid um that that it, it it's hard for me to to get over that and the fact that Chapman still plays really good defense at third base that kind of tells me like he wasn't really probably playing hurt last year um so i think that kind of that that theory of he was playing hurt it affected his strikeout rate in 2021 i'm not totally buying that because he was so good defensively so True. i think the last you know two seasons of what we've seen of chapman maybe not 2020 but but the 2021 version um a little bit better than that with the move to toronto but uh not much better and like i said there there are guys there are third basemen going around chapman that uh that i'd still rather have even in toronto yeah no i, I get it i get it i don't have any chapman just yet so 
uh, it's interesting to see the move because he's leaving the ballpark and people are changing things up. Another guy that changed, well, he got has a new team as he signed as a free agent, but Johnny VR is a big mover. Yeah. Um, during the lockout, 273, last seven days in an OC, he's twenty or 221. He went 236 in the uh, the main events. He's one of the guys I talked to you earlier. I have an article on Fantrax coming out. And if you look at people just from May 1st to the day their transaction took place, from the transaction to May 20 or March 21st, he um, was the 46 picks, the largest pick mover uh, going on there. So I love Johnny VR for the flexibility and everything. I'm not crazy thinking he's going to be a, like a, a legend, but are you good with this movement in ADP? Yeah, I mean, he's he's been a legend twice already. He was a legend in 2016. He was a legend in 2019. Like, all, and, I mean, it's and he's still only 31. Like, he's not that old. Show me other guys going outside the top 200 that are under 32 years old that have two first round seasons under their belt. Um, that's and, and then you factor on top of that the lack of stolen bases in the middle of the late rounds. Like, yes, Jonathan VR, that, that, that spot to go to Chicago, I think is perfect for him. Just like when he was in uh, Miami, you want, you want him to go on a bad team. That's just going to say, screw it and let him play, let him run. I think Chicago has a better chance of doing that than, uh, than if he were still on the Mets or, or what have you. So yeah, I I'm all over VR uh, with the Cubs at that price, given what we've seen from him with the steals. Like I, I think, I think that's a, that, I think that's a gold mine right now. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see if that, if that creeps up here, these, these next two weekends, but as it stands, especially at third base, which is like yep. a terrible position and he's still eligible at shortstop. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I made my case. No, it's big. I'm. I, I'm just glad we're on the same page here because I've gotten some negative feedback on my Johnny VR love, and I said I was kind of. T- I was drafting him, thinking, okay, he's going to go to a bad team, which means he's going to play. That's just how which it works. You want. And, yep. and people said, well, the Cubs they got all these. Like, Wisdom strikes out forty percent plus. Like he's going to get some downtime. He might even go to the minors for all we know if he doesn't hit home runs. Uh, you have Horner. You have Madrigal. A lot of unproven commodities going around. Plus, he can play the outfield if he has to. Like he can play all of the diamond, and. What you look at VR is even as a utility guy, which he's primarily been for most of his career, he's had certain years where he's kind of stuck. But since 2016, he's played in 120, he's played in 140 or more games in four of the five full seasons, he's played in 52 games in the 60 game season. He's hit double digit home runs in every full season in those five, uh, five seasons. And he's got double digit stolen bases. Like everything we liked about Tommy Pham, Johnny VR does. He just accumulates things as he goes, even without like primarial, primary position anywhere. And I think it's just kind of underappreciated because it's like, oh, it's Johnny VR. Like, here he is. He's like this utility player. But if he gives you 140-plus games, like, you're sitting real pretty with Johnny VR. So I love it. I'm, I'm curious to see where he keeps climbing. I'm honestly surprised his ADP was only 236 in the Yeah, in the I, I thought he would rise a lot because there was just so much uncertainty as a free agent. Like, there was a, a good chance that – no one even signs him or a team signs him and and he's just a complete utility completely buried he's the jury's still a little bit out chicago like at hq we've got vr projected for 50 percent playing time but we've got him projected for playing time at dh at second base at third at short and outfield so those i mean just like you were saying bubba like those multiple pass to playing time um yeah it takes one injury or one down productive like he's he's slotted in because they're not going to send him down they can't They'll send the other guys down. They'll send and, you uh, go down. If you, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, I think it's a, a perfect storm. The best storm, and it might not have been for ballpark factor, I was hoping he's going to Oakland because there was t- so many paths oh, to yeah. playing time there. Like, that would have been easy. But I'll take I'll take the Cubs while we're at it. 
One other riser, just real quick, I'm I'm curious about is Matt Olson. Um, so Matt Olson, when I and I put this out on the Bloom board, but went from 47 to 36. Obviously, Atlanta is the main driver for that. What? So that's above Pete Alonso. That's above Goldschmidt. That's above Jose Abreu. That's number third, number three first baseman behind Vlad and Freddie. Is that is that something you're buying in the, a, a third round, Matt Olson? It's tough because I wasn't buying it the whole draft season, but then I wrote an article. Like, you know how you write something and you try to convince yourself, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Um, I wasn't buying the gains, and I'm still not 100% on board because I kind of one of those guys I want to see it again. But the changes he made in his swing rates and his contact skills, like outside the zone, inside the zone, being more aggressive at the first pitch, which allowed him to probably hit more home runs. Um, if you believe in StatCast, the meatball stuff, like his was through the roof last year because he was being very selective and hitting good pitches. Um, and it correlated because he was more effective in that, even though his ground ball rate was higher than in 2019 when he had a lot of home runs, and his home run to fly ball was lower than 2019 when he had all those home runs. So he was able to be, I guess, less efficient in that regard because he was more efficient in the actual matters at the plate, like being like really good at the plate. So it was tough for me to say, do I want to buy in? I at least can understand it because also massive shift in ballpark, especially for left-handed power. Yes. And for left-handed power, it's not just the ballpark is left-handed power. It was like eighth in baseball from like 29th or something. It was like, and again, though, he's one of those guys, like you said, with Gritchick at the start of the show, not many ballparks are holding them anyways. So let's just be honest about it. But um, you look at the grand scheme of things, that's going to be huge. There's always a negative. You can get to it. Like you look at the, the pitchers in the division. He's going to have to face. That's going to be tough, like real tough. But um, I at least can understand it now. I couldn't understand it beforehand. I, I really, I couldn't justify it. When I had my initial first base rankings come out, he was like my fifth first baseman, and I got just lambasted for that. But I can at least I, – I can understand it now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it all depends on the – and you make – yeah, you make great points. That that uh, truest field is like tailor-made for Matt Olson, so I, mm-hmm. I, I get the jump. It's all about the strikeout rate. Like Matt Olson had the best improvement of any hitter in strikeout rate from 2020 to 2021 in all of baseball. Um, that sounds great on the yeah. surface. Like that sounds mm-hmm. like a great thing. The skill improved. Is he going to hold that? Is he going to hold anything yeah. near that given the given the given his baseline? I, I don't know the answer, uh, but it's just interesting to see him jump up. Uh, also interesting in the mains, Olsen did fall back a little bit. Again, just okay. three drafts, but went back down to 44. So um, interesting. Interesting. So I was interested. Definitely in one to monitor. Uh, Definitely one to like, because exactly. you know what? It could have been like that seven day bump that could have been just like, you know, hot new toy. Let's go see. Like he got the new thing. Now everyone's going to kind of come back to reality here and let's kind of get back to where maybe he should be going type situation. Because I think he's, yeah, he's a good hit. He's a good player. But also for me, I know for you probably, we want more stolen bases and stuff in round two and three, where Olsen's not helping you there. And that makes it tricky. So. I usually uh, kind of pass on that scenario. Yeah, you are kind of debating between him and like if Tim Anderson falls or even like a Tay Oscar who isn't isn't a huge steals guy but gets you ten to fifteen. Yeah, um, that's the, that's the decision you have to make. Most definitely. All right, you guys came through with a ton of listener questions, so we yeah. are going to power through these for you guys. And uh, let me navigate all the ones we got here. We're starting off with our our buddy Michael Simeone at SP Streamer. How much of a bump does Gritchick get for you now? You kind of mentioned it earlier, but pretty large bump, huh? Yeah, huge bump. Um, like I said, 100, basically my number 100 overall hitter. Um, let me pull up my outfield, see where that like where that where that puts him. But um, it's it's huge for me. It's it's massive. So I've got Gritchick at. 
like 16 bucks in SGP. So ahead of uh, right around like Charlie Blackman, um, Ben Intendi, again, different types of different types of players ahead of Max Kepler, ahead of Conforto. So that kind of range is um, where I'm looking at. So, yeah, I, I think it's a major jump for Gritchick. Like I said, 100th overall hitter is about where I take him. So, yeah, be fun to see where that keeps going over the weekend in Vegas. Uh, next question we got from Curtis Jones at uh, Cujo at, at Jones Curtis on Twitter. Where are you drafting Robert Swore as a San Diego reliever who um, may or may not be favorited for the closers role? Yeah, may or may not. Uh, our, our good friend Vlad Sadler put out an awesome Spider-Man thing of, uh, of the five or six different closers on San Diego's roster right now. Um, so I'm kind of out on Suarez just because I have no idea if he's going to uh, take the job. I have no idea if San Diego is going to commit to a single closer or just go total matchup. So, um, and I just haven't seen much history with Suarez. So um, I'm, 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 I'm out Cujo. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I don't have any shares either. It's like, he's getting pushed up. I guess I'll, if I took a chance on San Diego, I'll go Pierce Johnson because he's going cheaper, but I, I have none either. I'm with you on that. Um, he also asked, what are your favorite bottom half closers? Like if you're waiting on closers, uh, who are you targeting these days? I've been do, I've been targeting a lot of Rowan Wick. I was just about to say um, the same name. I've turn up, the last turn four, up the Wick. Four drafts, four yep. drafts I've done. I think I have Wick in all four of them. I've got a lot of him, and and I and I and I did this in labor. I took Rowan Wick like I don't know nineteenth, twentieth round or something, and then like the, my last round, I took Cody Hewer, who I thought would be um, a contender for the role with the Cubs. Little did I know when I clicked that draft button, he was already injured and about to go under Tommy John surgery. Um, but he was out of the picture now, basically. So mm-hmm. I, I think Rowan Wick is someone who is no one's really talking about. Yeah, the Cubs are going to be a bad team, but they're not going to be like horrible. Uh, they're not going to be Pittsburgh. Um, they've got some they've got a semi-decent lineup. Some they probably pitching. still win 65 to 70 games. So that gives them a right. chance to save 30 something games. Yep. And so, yeah, so Wick would be my answer there. I, I I think he's just someone, and even in the even in the three main, he's going outside the top three hundred. So, yeah, ever since the Hewer thing went down, like I understand the Michael Gibbons thing could be a slight concern. So, if you want to go there, just to be speculative, sure. But Rowan Wicks, I, I like I said, I took him in my last four drafts. I've done so. Uh, he, he's definitely moving up my board. Uh, the other one is a kind of trendy one, but it's still kind of dicey, especially if you look at uh, some of the other great relief pitcher people out there. Art Warren is intriguing mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, but uh, if I had to pick just one wick, it's funny you mentioned him as the guy I've been going with quite a bit. Okay. Uh, Edward J. Gillis um, asks, how how about three pitchers you can get from around 25 to 30 in the main events that you would love to get? So basically three late pitchers that you'd love to get. He drafted tonight, I believe. He's got a couple drafts this weekend, but uh, he hit that button tonight. I'm going to go, I'll, I'll start Carlos Hernandez, um, uh, Kansas city really like, uh, what he's doing and my mouse isn't working, but, um, I really like Carlos Hernandez. I, I think he's someone who I'm, I'm targeting late. He's going like 24th round. So I don't know if that totally applies. Uh, Michael Pineda is someone who, again, not going to get you strikeouts, but he's at least going to going to pitch. Um, and then I'll go Zach Eflin, who has actually looked pretty good so far um, and seems to be on track or close to on track. I was a big Eflin guy last year, so I'll go Zach Eflin as well. I'm curious to see if you're going to name someone, Bubba, who um, 
who you've been all over um, on Twitter around, but we'll see if you if you name him. Uh, you want to know if I'm going to Patrick Corbin out yes. there? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of Patrick Corbin shares, so I, I would not be opposed to that. People were saying his velocity was down in his first start, but then immediately the smart people, then not just the ones crying from the rooftops, they looked and even Alcantara's was down, so it could just be a bad gun per se. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. That happens a lot in spring training. So even the hot guns, there's hot guns and there's cold guns. So keep that in mind when you're looking at those things. But I do like some Patrick Corbin. That is one that definitely checks the box. Dane Dunning um, is on a lot of my squads. I liked what we saw to him last year in limited role. They kind of babied him last year. He's supposed to be ready to roll in Texas. Um, decent strikeout stuff. If he can get you a five, six innings to start, could be surprising there as well. And then if I have to give you a third, this is where it gets fun because you're really digging deep. Um I guess the one I would go with, and this is just keep watching spring, and maybe this is a hype train thing, but Mackenzie Gore looks healthy and really good, really good right now. So that's one that I think his ADP is going to keep climbing. If he has his start today was great, and that's two really good starts. So I'm curious to see where that goes with him. And it's and and it's interesting not to not to plug HQ again, but Chris Blessing put out an awesome article today on HQ that talked about centered around Mackenzie Gore, but also talked about just uh, San Diego's pitching development as an organization. And uh, really, really um, insightful and impressive stuff from Chris that, uh, yeah, that makes Mackenzie Gore um, go up my boards. One, one, a fourth name just for bonus uh, that I, I should have mentioned before, Michael Waka. Mm-hmm. He's got the four starter job in Boston. Um, he's been on a lot of bloom boards this, this offseason. So I'll, I'll throw Waka in the mix as well. I like it. I like it. Um, Ariel Cohen asked a question with the latest Gritchick Tapia trade. How does outfield time, playing time, shake out in Toronto and Colorado? Well, early on, we don't know. <laughs> especially, yeah, especially, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Tapia, fourth outfielder. Grichik should be the starting center fielder. Should be. That's the goal. Should be. The, the question is, yeah, the the ripple effects of that. Um, the the Alejandro Kirks, the Greg yeah. Burrs. I mean, the stuff we talked about, the Connor Joes, what happens to those guys? That's where it's going to be interesting to hit up Mike Curlin and see where those spring training lineups are shaking out with, uh, with those guys. And about two weeks of spring training. That's right. The 24th, we start on the seventh. So that's just not that far away, which is awesome, but also scary that it's that soon. So keep an eye on all that good stuff. Uh, Carlos Marcano, awesome, awesome individual and writer. Um, he asks, there is a messy catcher situation for the Yankees, but do you think Higgy is a little underappreciated? Um, I don't think so. I, I think he's, got some kind of injury right now so i i don't i don't know um but i i don't know i just i haven't seen much from higgy to i mean he hit 181 last year with a 69 percent contact rate like like pretty pretty bad stuff he's gonna probably get you some power i like the fly ball rate he's a he's a fly ball heavy guy with with good pop but he could be like a zunino light which is not where you really want to be he's cole's personal catcher so he's going to get you one to two starts a week there. Maybe he slides in elsewhere. We'll see. Um, he's great for DFS because he's usually $2,000 on DK. So you can go that route if you want on those days. But I think they're going to give Rortvert a chance. That He showed some interesting offensive talents there for Minnesota. So well, either that or they'll go somewhere else. But uh, I'm curious to see how that one goes. Uh, James D in the chat says, how long um, will it take Josh Lowe to get called up? It's the Rays. So that's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah, we saw what happened last year with. I mean, they did once. Once Wander Franco was up, 
he was he was up, but you saw what they did to Vidal Brujan. It's what they Nate Low forever. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Nate Low forever. So um if we're if we're prognosticating what Tampa's gonna do with Josh Lowe, um, we're in the wrong business. That's gonna that's that's yeah. tough. I mean, I will say like every single prospect report I read on him is especially fantasy specific, is just glowing. Um but it's it's hard to, especially in like an NFBC league where you have to stash and you don't have a deep bench and and no IL spots and that sort of thing. It's for me, it's not worth it yet to uh, to stash him and, and at least start the season with him on my roster. Yeah, and I'm rarely ever a guy that stashes rookies or prospects. It's just not my cup of tea. So I'm I'm a bad bad person to ask that question for. Uh, Colin Weatherwax did ask, "Are you comfortable taking Taylor Rogers pre pick 100?" Pretty sure we both said no on that one. Um, John Wilder d- asks, will the Mayhew be playing every day or is he bumped after the Rizzo signing? He's kind of the odd man out right now. It looks like. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. We've got him. It's funny at, at HQ. We've got LeMay projected for 25% at first base, 25% at second base and 25% at third base. Um, so on, on the one hand, you've got those multiple paths to playing time and adds up to 75%. Like he'll probably play at least half the time if no one gets hurt. But on the other, DJ LeMay, who is a point in the draft where you don't want to be taking a part-time player, especially I'm not really a LeMay guy anyway. I mean, we're projecting a 277 average, 11 homers, four steals, and 460 at-bats for LeMay. Like that's that's nothing that is um, all that attractive to me. So um, unfortunately, I think that means the market's going to be down on LeMahieu, a guy who I was out on anyway. But yeah, right now he does kind of seem like the odd man out in New York. Yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting scenario to see how that plays out. Um, and then the last question I have here, Aaron R. asks, of the pitchers that are showing increased velocity or picks mix changes in spring training, who are the ones that you're most excited about drafting this year? Some guys that come to mind are Keller, Gore, Kelly, Mize, Lazardo. Yeah, Twitter exploded the other day with uh, with he- with Jesus Lazardo's uh, two inning, I think two inning uh, velocity increase. I know you and Toby kind of talked about it, and Toby brought up the CSW on that mm-hmm. on that, that called called and swinging strike rate on that fastball, and it was not that great either. So, um, in general, I'm not looking at fastball velocity yet. I think it is something to look at over the course of spring training. But you got to think a lot of these starters, they're not going like full out, but they are only pitching in like two inning stints right now. And the inclination is to try and, you know, push it, look as good as you can in that two inning stint. You're fired up. You're ready to go. It's your first start of spring. Um, So I and I I mentioned this earlier, how we're just overreacting on so much in spring training right now. Um, That's a This is an example of why. Um, so I, am interested in, I'm, I'm tracking these guys. I want to see what they look like in their second or third start. And then I'll kind of make that decision. Um, uh, that's also why I'm not drafting my main event until the night before the season, but, um, I'm, I'm not basing pretty much anything off of pitcher performance after two inning starts, which is how long most of these guys are going. Yeah. You hit, you hit one of my biggest things right there is how many times have we seen a starter go to the bullpen and go, Oh man, he's throwing harder now. It's because yep. they're throwing shorter durations, like you said. Give me a, let me see them go five innings and then tell me how they're throwing in the fifth inning type stuff. Yep. I want to see how that's going, and then we'll get better a better idea of how things are going to look potentially. Come Toby brought time. up the 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 you know you you touch touch versus sit, mm-hmm. so you can touch ninety seven, sit ninety four. Uh, both can be true. 
Yeah, that is very, very true. What else is very, very true was this was a fun, awesome episode, the first episode of Bubba and the Bloom. So before we head on out of here, any final words for the listeners? No, thanks for thanks for the comments. Thanks for the um, yeah the initial excitement, like you said, Bubba, when we announced this, it was it was pretty wild. I was like, damn, some high expectations for this thing. <laughs> we hope we live up to it, but uh, but no, this is just this is fun sitting down talking baseball with you. It's like we're just hanging out and talking fantasy. So um, I'm looking forward to taking this venture further and it's just awesome to see all the not just the feedback but all the questions that we got let's keep those coming and let's do this every thursday night yep it's gonna be awesome every thursday night around 8 30 p.m pacific time count on that you can watch a stream live you can watch it later on youtube you can listen to it anywhere you want it's gonna be a blast to keep the interactions coming like like ryan said it's just fun chatting baseball and having a good time for an hour or so and enjoying all that stuff so we'll be back with you guys again next weekend but for now Check out Ryan on Twitter at RyanBHQ. I am at BDEntrick, and we will catch you guys next week. <laughs>